set your Christmas tune for the Maudience. Hey, Maudience, it's the Herald of Modcast. Hey, you guys, what's up, you jerks? Hi. <laughs> it's the holidays. Tricked. You just got pwned. I just bought my first Christmas album. It's uh, Have a Merry Luda Christmas by Ludacris. <laughs> <laughs> it's at all hip-hop renditions. It's all strip club songs turned from Christmas carols. No. Have a Merry Luda Christmas. What was that, that CD you saw that was the Men of Christmas? Yeah, like <laughs> that who would hilarious. sell that? It was like in the bargain bin of some like dollar store and it was all these different Christmas stupid like, you know, Christmas CDs and one was just like the Men of Christmas. <laughs> who was on it? It was like, you know, Tony Tim Bennett, ben. Nat, like Nat King Cole, and, like Tim McGraw. It, it had all their pictures and then like Chris Brown, like not yeah. a good, not a good person to include in a CD that's the Men of Christmas. <laughs> and like, I just want to know who Who's rooting through a like who, who's rooting through a bin of like CDs? Like, oh, that will make my decision. I really yeah. want more. I just wanted men for Christmas. Like, I don't. I, that's that's what I'm discriminated <laughs> with. It's like as long as there's a CD of just men. Do you have a just male <laughs> Christmas artist? I just I am um, Muslim. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Celebrated Christmas for the first time. A little time. controversy. We're easing into it. You know? Easing into easing it. Easing into Christmas from Ramadan. You know? <laughs> I can say that. I was born in Saudi Arabia. That's right. You were. I was. So, uh... Want to fight? Nope. We'll fight. We can fight about it. You know? No go, fighting. Fight. No fighting. So, uh, we have a lot to go over because we got to go to the press screening of The Hateful Eight. At the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood. And uh, also meet uh, Robert Richardson, Oscar-winning cinematographer. To who the stars. is the cinematographer for many of Quentin's films, and Quentin Tarantino's films. films, and many films. All He's won three films. Oscars. He's won three Oscars. He did an interview after the movie. We got to see the movie in stunning Panavision 70, 70 millimeter. millimeter. And it's the extended cut film, too, that a lot yeah. of people aren't going to see in theaters. It's, it has the overture in the beginning and the intermission. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost a three-hour experience. Yes. It's incredible. I was blown away. I mean, we'll get into it deep. There's some more setup. It was cool. It was, you know, press screen. There's a big press line. We actually got really good seats. We got good seats. We we uh, were. It was really special. Like you were saying, coffee. I got a nice coffee. (laughs) Very special. Very special. I got a nice cookie. It was at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood. The world famous historical Egyptian. They did did this uh, premieres of like Ben Hur. and You know all those like old old golden age old golden agers. Yeah, it was quite an experience. And Hollywood um, Boulevard was closed down because the premiere of Star Wars was there that same oh, day. Oh, yes. So we had to fucking, we were driving up there and then it was like, Hollywood is closed from Highland to Coenga. We're like, that's where the fuck we're going. I know. You know, and, and then we saw, and they saw this giant tent. It like took over two blocks and it had Star Wars on the top. It so. took over more than that because remember it was on the other side of well, where the La Brea Ripley's, too. The, you know, the Ripley's, yeah. uh, believe it or not, museums right on that corner. Yep. And then from that corner over, all like however many blocks that is, like three blocks, four blocks. Yeah, it seemed at least two blocks. That's it was a, a really big mess. And then it started raining, and then it rained. Yes, we walked out of there, and, and the it was pouring rain, rain pouring which rain. I, I, I mean, we sound like like 
pussy. Pussy. But, but I was dressed I, in LA but clothes. But we were dressed in LA clothes. And, and it's one of those things we kind of looked at each other like, we weren't expecting this because you're never expecting never that expect in LA. It. And we always, we talk about because we have all this like raid gear that we never I get know, to wear. We don't get to wear. <laughs> such, that's such an LA complaint. Like, I got this nice winter coat and I never get to wear it. <laughs> LL Bean boots. I'll have to go to Big Bear to wear it. Or to Arrowhead <laughs> or Mammoth. LA's, LA people LA like sucks. LA makes you into like such a fucking you get so out of touch with the rest <laughs> of the world. We got to see like a special screening, but then it rained. And then it rained on us. Seventy millimeter screening. <laughs> how he intended. Yeah, and so if you're if you don't know understand what that means, I mean regular film is shot on thirty five millimeter and this is so this is the the resolution of it. And I mean a lot of stuff is done digitally now, but most this, of it's digital now. It, he still likes to shoot on film and this is a much higher resolution than regular film and it's just spectacular it's breathtaking looking i mean the opening sequence well first of all i mean the the score starts with the overture like you're literally going to see a play it is like a play it is like a play and i even said during the movie that like the next step for this whole thing would be to do a like theater Broadway interpretation yeah. of this movie because it really looks like totally you could it. totally do it. It's like yeah. one location, really. You trim back a lot of the like establishing th- shots and right. the stuff on the stage coaches. But outside of that, once you see it, it would be so cool to see the Hateful Eight on Broadway or off Broadway or something like that. Yeah. Once you see the movie, you're like, oh, fuck. Especially with the intermission, the overture, the, my mind en- instantly went there. Right. Of like, let's see this on theater. It doesn't have to be the same actors, it can be, you know, theater trained actors or whatever, it, or the same actors. It totally. You know? could be um it's so cool and it's so intense and it's so much there's so much tension we should say the score is ennio morricone Morricone. oscar winner uh legendary uh film score and it it is truly unbelievable score we should say that the score i found out that um it featured a lot of unused music that Morricone wrote for John Carpenter's The Thing. He did The Thing? He did The Thing, Wow. Yeah, yeah. and so whatever, I'm not sure what pieces of the score were used that were sort of reused or unused from The Thing, but It, it sounds, it's got, well, you know, Tarantino loves to do that whole retro kind of thing. And like super operatic strings yeah. and stuff over like a western movie you right know? but it's super like spaghetti western thing to do too it's like hang them high and all those you know wild bunch and the peck and Pop movies and stuff you know which is awesome and i mean i gotta say this this is maybe my favorite movie experience of his in a theater really At well least in a, definitely in At a theater that. movie experience not, i, I like, will absolutely agree with that if not maybe my favorite story he's told really I think so. I mean, because I said, like, this guy, he's so into character development and dialogue. All you got to do is give that guy four fucking walls and he'll create this whole world. Yeah. Like, it takes place in this little haberdashery, yeah. <laughs> which is sort of like an inn on the side of the road with little foodstuffs and a stove and cots. Right. And there's eight guys and the ninth guy who's the cage sto- st- stagecoach driver. Right. And then... Like who else could do that? But no, I think I was wrong. I think it's actually it is he eight. And, that it's eight altogether. It's eight altogether. And then yeah, the ninth guy is Channing Tatum, who we should say is also in the movie. Who's they kept under yeah. wraps, really pretty good. Nobody knew he was in this movie. Right? No one knew he was I in think this they movie did that on purpose. Because remember, Entertainment Weekly did a cover story on it, and a lot of things have. And they never interviewed Channing Tatum, and it wasn't on his IMDb. No, I feel like it was sort of that was their intention. Surprise! Surprise! Channing Tatum's in this. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, who else can do that? It's like like John Patrick Shanley did that in like Doubt and you know just mm. as far as just 
give me a room and two characters or eight characters and I'll give you the most yeah. interesting story you've ever heard. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. And that's Tarantino I, for sure. It's totally scaled down. Like, it's not Kill Bill. It's not Inglorious mm-hmm. Bastards where there's wars, it, World War II backdrop, or, you know, and then you're, there's a theater that blows up and Hitler no, gets killed and, you know. But there's incredible cinematography. I mean, the film opens with incredible scenery they well, shot it in Wyoming. telluride yeah it's but they to be shot Wyoming. it in telluride yeah and it's Colorado. a blizzard and a blizzard's it, coming it's in the winter yeah and a blizzard's on their tail that's how it starts they're right. on the stagecoach and here kurt russell's with jennifer jason lee who plays a basically a daisy Dahmer, a murderess murderess and, and like psycho basically so, yeah and like cold heartless and she, her character doesn't give the whole like she's cold and heartless to the, the whole end, time and she likes it like yeah. she gets off on it you know what i mean that's what's so cool about him writing characters for women because you don't you forget she's a woman and there's a lot yeah. of reference in the movie where like that's not a lady right like, I, and like you feel good about hanging a lady he's like i don't know what lady you're talking right, about right right and i feel like that's better for women in movies yeah because you said you overheard some girls in the intermission talking about how oh yeah i heard, overheard like, some people saying oh she got nominated for a golden globe i haven't seen her do much yet and i was like are you fucking are kidding you me fucking i mean kidding. and I'm, we're gonna get into this more but i i gotta go on record as saying her performance might be the performance of the year yeah. one of them it's definitely the supporting performance the of the performance year of her career too. it's definitely the performance of her career and it's the performance the supporting of the year like it is an incredible performance i hope she wins the oscar for end. this performance and again it's a different performance that that, that most that women get cast in like yeah. that usually would have been a man that right. someone would have written that as a ma- male character yeah who's a fucking scumbag who can take a punch take a hit get his teeth knocked out spit in your face poison you kill you in your sleep not think twice but it is a woman yeah but no one's looking at her as a woman first even when they make comments it's like she's just a fucking criminal yep from beginning to end and she sells it well let's let's that's let's, quentin though quentin that's writes totally women quentin. that way he like, does uma in well Kill and in inglorious bastards in the french bastards. woman who blows up you know unapologetically yeah, yeah. Uh, let's let's kind of give them a little synopsis of what the story's about before we get into all of our stuff uh it's pretty it, straightforward it's pretty straightforward it's Kurt Russell, who's a bounty hunter with... Uh, his name's John Ruth the Hangman. John Ruth the Hangman. And they and Jennifer Jason Lee's his passenger. They've got a stagecoach driver. Well, she's wanted for $10,000. He's captured her. And his whole thing is he lets them hang. He doesn't kill them. If it's dead or alive, yeah. he's bringing them back alive and he's watching them hang. He's like, I don't want to have to uh, take money out of the hangman's pocket, right. is what he says. So that's his thing. He's chained to her yep. and they're on the stagecoach and they're riding through fucking buttfuck you know, uh, Wyoming, which it's supposed to be. It's super snowy. And then they come upon Samuel L. Jackson, who's also a bounty hunter, but who's on the other side of it, who just kills him. They, he never lets money, them live. Though. He's like, cause what's his name says, you know, it's, uh, this job, if this job was easy, everyone would do it. Or it's not supposed to be that easy. And Samuel Jackson's like, well, it's not supposed to be that hard. Yeah. Either, you're overthinking You're supposed to just kill him. Kill well, him and he's got like four dead bodies. Stacked and he, up and he's sitting on them. Yeah. On a saddle. And he's sitting in the middle of the road to stop the next car that's right. coming. The stagecoach that's coming. And that's how it starts. And we, we find out. So we find out. After some, you know, negotiation, he gets into the he he 
get hitches a ride with them, and then we mm-hmm. find out that they know each other. They know each Kurt other. Kurt Russell from before. and yeah, Samuel yeah, Jackson character. Before they're both bounty hunters. Yeah, he has to talk him into getting onto this just to get onto the stagecoach because he paid for a private ride. Right. This man paid a lot of money for a private ride, so you'll have to talk to him. If yeah, you he doesn't want on. someone to take the prisoner and get this money. $10, He's like $10. weary of the fact that that mm. could happen. And then they come upon another guy, and it's Warren Walton. Walton Coggins. Coggins? Walton Coggins. Coggins. Okay. G-O-G-G-I-N-S. Who's, who's, uh, Walton Goggins. Who is an. You've seen him in a million things. He's in, he was in Django. He plays one of the. He was in Django. He, he plays, was in. Uh, he plays the guy. Justified. That, he plays the guy that was going to cut off Django's balls. He's the. He's oh the one yeah. In that scene, he's an incredible actor, and this is his performance of his career. And he plays a guy who also Kurt Russell essentially knows his family. They were Confederates. The they were gang. Like there were also, we should say, this takes place. Post Civil War, and yeah, post Civil War, Samuel L. Jackson was a major in the Union Army, right? And killed a lot of people. And uh, Walton Goggins was a uh, son of a mercenary band of Confederates, right? That went and just sort of killed blacks as they saw, as you know, as they plead, and like killed black towns, and yeah, raped and pillaged, and they fought under the Confederacy, but they weren't really even soldiers; they were just Southern mercenaries, right? And bushwhackers, they said. Bushwhackers. And they come upon him in the snow in the middle of nowhere yeah. with a lantern and a blanket. And he's trying to talk his way onto the stagecoach now. Yep. And it's the dialogue, I'd liken it to uh, the Coen Brothers' True Grit, where it's all very poetic. It does feel a little like True Grit. It is. It's totally, I mean, it's mm-hmm. essentially a similar time frame. And tone and, and tone. feel and look. And uh, yeah, and like sort of harkens back to like the English descendants of like the British descendants, mm-hmm. where everything's very matter of fact and they always state what's on their mind and how they feel about things it's yeah really cool and like every nothing's really unsaid and right it's right all right very poetic though but even though it's sort of mixed with sort of backwoods hillbilly idioms and uh-huh. stuff you know so it's cool and so he, walton you find out he's supposed to be the sheriff of the town red rock the, red which rock, they're all going which to they're red going rock. to red yeah. rock because that's where he's going to get the bounty for jennifer jason lee and that's where samuel jackson's going to collect the bounty for the three dead bodies he has mm-hmm. and walton goggins is basically like well if you're going to red rock you're gonna have to talk to the sheriff and the sheriff is me yeah and they're like bullshit yeah they don't like, believe yeah. him like why would you be the sheriff because the sheriff just got killed by this other guy who's up there locked up and i have his paperwork here and so Kurt Russell looks at the paperwork. He's like, huh, I don't believe you, but I guess I believe you. Yeah. And the only reason he lets him on is like, oh, because he wants to put him, him to put on handcuffs. And Walton Goggins is like, nope. Oh, right. And he's like, if you, don't, if, you make, if you leave me out here and you choose not to take me with you and I die, that's murder. So when you get to Red Rock, they're going to hang you for not taking me with you because mm-hmm. I am the new sheriff. So he gets on the stagecoach. And then they're all going to Minnie's Haberdashery. Or- Which is going to be, a st- they, they know, is a stop halfway in between that they can take refuge because there's a huge storm coming. Blizzard coming, yeah. And that might hold up there for two or three days until right. the blizzard you know, blows over or whatever. So they're on this journey to go to Minnie's haberdashery, and both Kurt Russell and Samuel Jackson's characters know her and know and the place. Have stayed there before. before as bounty hunters. It's like one of their stops. Stops, yeah. They all know it. They know her. They know Sweet Dave. It's Minnie and Sweet Dave, right? And they run the place together. And they get there, and this Mexican guy comes out to greet them, who's played by Damien something. He's been in Quinn's movies before, but he Damien Bitch. Bisher, picture. Yeah, you would. You'd recognize him, but yeah, he's very recognizable. Yeah, 
And so they get there and they have to, you know, put up the horses. And, you know, he said we weren't expecting anyone until tomorrow. He played Che Guevara. He played, he was in Machete Kills. He was in Heat. He's been in a, a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, he's been in a whole bunch of stuff for sure. And so they basically, they're there. And they, they're first tipped off by like, where's Minnie? Where's Sweet Dave? And they're like, well, they uh, went north to see their families. And he's like, why would they do that when the storm's coming? And they're right. like, I don't know, because, and this is the Mexican guy saying that. And basically, they have to go set up the horses and get into the thing, get into the haberdashery. And Tim Roth's in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michael Madsen's in there. And Bruce Dern is in there. Right. And so it's the three of them. And plus Bruce the Dern's Mexican. a general of, from the Confederate Army. Yeah, he plays a, a former. An old general sitting at the sitting by the fire playing chess yeah. by himself kind of thing, you know? Well, one thing I wanted to point out about the the Mexican guy who greets them, his it's a very interesting performance, which you don't really realize until, they, uh, until the end of the movie where you do kind of like they do a retelling of what happens. Yeah, which he that does he a lot barely says anything and he kind of is he very this, quiet and he has this look on his face well, and it's like very curious eye, he has an eye that like almost looks like it doesn't work like one eye yeah. is like a dead eye and the other one's sort of open and he has this big hat on and this big coat and this big scarf so you don't even can't really even tell what his face looks like yeah and everything sort of talked through a closed mouth like what do you mean gringo what yeah you doing? <laughs> Bob. it's very curious and sort of suspect but you're not you although you kind of believe it you kind of believe it because at the moment you know you know that you're you're getting to a situation where someone's probably going to double cross someone. And you don't know who it's going to be, but we're still not really there yet. We're not at the point where we're like, oh shit, which one the of these guys has like done intro- something? Intruding everyone, and right? You sort of like just want to get in and get warm because the snow, the blizzard's yeah, coming. Yeah, get a, a horrible cup of coffee, blizzard. get something to eat, and then try to get to know people. So you're not really questioning anything, even not though you yet. Know that's someone's on you know on the make in a sense yeah and that's when you start to feel it is when samuel l jackson offers to help the mexican bob right puts put up the horses and bob says no and he's like i'm offering you help in the middle of a snowstorm to and, do stable work and you're saying no and he's like oh you're right okay my friend yeah like, yeah, you yeah. Know? like it's a yeah. really good performance by the mexican yeah and he yeah. starts sort of questioning him so like how long have you been working here uh four months and how long has uh, Minnie been gone? Uh, a week. Okay. And she still smokes that pipe tobacco out of that whatever pipe. And he's like, my friend, if you've been here before, you would know that Minnie rolls her own tobacco. Like that. And he's like, yeah. but I think you already knew that. And Samuel Jackson's like, I did know that. I was just making sure you knew that. Yeah, like, Samuel Jackson's on to him. But we don't know 100% something. why. But he's no. definitely questioning him. And you start, and it's left. And he's like, okay. And it's kind of left as is at the moment. That everything's, he's going to keep his eye on him. Yeah, we're sort of believing. And Kurt Russell's already questioning people. He's questioning everybody. Because he's like, um, he's got the prisoner and he's basically like questioning everyone. Like, do you have any interest in my bounty, basically? Yeah. she's alive. It's not a dead bounty. He's got to keep her alive. Or he wants to keep her alive. Right. And he's got to get through the next three days of a snowstorm with strangers. And he's, he's, you know, sort of questioning Tim Roth. And Tim Roth's name is Oswaldo Morbray or Mabray. Oswaldo. Oswaldo Mabray. Yeah. Who basically does his best Christoph Waltz impression as a British as actor. As a British. Yeah, you're right. That's totally what it seemed like. It seemed it's like It's very kind of Christoph Waltz. I mean, he might have been directed that way by Quentin. 
Yeah. Which is possible, which would make sense you know, yeah. for that character. It's a little least. hammy. It's a little, Tim Roth can be hammy. He can be hammy. There was definitely, uh, oh, I'll get to that later, but there's sort of a nod to his character from uh, Reservoir Dogs at near the, nearing the end. Oh, yes, there, there is. You, you That's sort of right. See it just the way he, uh, he will get yeah. there. Yeah. But, uh, and so we find out that, in fact, Tim Roth's character is the hangman of Red Rock. Because he's like, you're not going to want my prisoner, are you? He's like, well, in fact, I might. He's like, well, what the hell is that supposed to mean? He's like, I'm actually gives him a card. He's like, I'm the hangman of Red Rock. Yeah. So I will, in fact, have something to do with your bounty or whatever like that. And so that's supposed to set Tim or set uh, Kurt Russell at ease. Right. Like, okay, well, if you're the hangman, you wouldn't want my bounty at all. Okay. Yeah. You know? He's like, okay, I'll buy it for now. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't really trust anybody. No, as he shouldn't. I mean, he's got, she's got 10 thousand dollars on her head and that's a lot of money back in the you know so much 18th money. century 1800s when is it oh yeah it's late. a civil war period so yeah right. it's a it's a late 18, 19th century 19th century it's a 1800s. shit load of money yeah and uh she'll fucking cut your throat in your sleep you know there's many right. times where he just hauls off and fucking belts her oh, badly. badly i mean well it starts in the stagecoach where he just like smacks her he elbows her in the nose and breaks her nose yeah he fucking smacks her across the face and she just kind of takes she it she just sort of laughs it off and takes it and sort of revels in it it's really a cool role man yeah it's good writing it's good writing by queen and it's cool to see a woman play that role it's like in laura dern and citizen ruth where it's like oh god it's yeah it's not really great like, you're not looking at it as like, oh, a woman is doing this. You're no. You're looking at it as like, this person's fucked up, man. Yeah. You know, it's really cool. It's one of them, like, there's a whole sequence. What happens is Samuel L. Jackson has a letter written to him from Abraham Lincoln. Right. And Chris, Kurt Russell knew that. In the stagecoach In the stagecoach. Yeah. This goes back a little bit, but it's important to, it's really actually a key point of the story you should mm-hmm. have brought up. And Kurt Russell asks to read it again. Because he had read it before. And he basically says since he was a major, uh, Samuel L. Jackson was a major in the Union Army, he had some sort of correspondence with Abraham Lincoln right. throughout the war. And so Kurt Russell reads the letter to himself and it says at the end, like, well, Mary Todd's calling. That means I guess it's time for bed. It's sincerely yours, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, like, like they're friends. Like they're friends. Like they're pen pals. Yeah. And Kurt Russell, oh, that gets me every time. And then he's reading it and then... Fucking Jason Jennifer Jason Lee goes and just spits on her. I know. And then Samuel Jackson looks at her and just like belts her across the face right. so hard that she goes out the door of the stagecoach and Kurt Russell being attached to her goes with her. And it's moving. And They're it's moving. moving yeah. stagecoach and they both fall out onto the ground and Kurt Russell's like, oh, my shoulder was ripped out of the fucking socket. Yeah. And Samuel L. Jackson had to like collect the letter and like pick it up and fucking try to salvage it and stuff. Right. And they get back in the stage to continue moving on. But uh, that letter comes up again a few different times in the movie. Yeah, there's no... This this film has no apologies. It just, like, goes for it, you know? Like his films do. films always do. And also, there's no fat in this movie. I feel like Django had some fat that needed to be trimmed in certain areas, mm-hmm. where this movie is just all meat and potatoes yeah it's definitely there's not there's nothing even for as long of a movie as it is i mean there is that one sequence where they go back and explain how the band loves get to there. explain things he, loves to, he explain. loves to go he loves to tell a story and then go back and explain why he told it and yeah. like give you the earlier flashbacks yeah. which really made sense in pulp fiction and i mean it did not make sense in this and i guess it was kind of cool to see but yeah you could have left that out and i, I would have been so. okay i, I would have okay. been okay because yeah. the movie was moving at such a pace 
And then after the intermission, and then it's like basically the end of the second act or beginning of the third act, and he goes mm-hmm. back and explains how everything got there to the haberdashery. Basically, so should we just say like what it is like? Like how long can we keep the uh, mystery the mystery going? So basically, well, spoilers. Like, do you if you if you don't want to hear the spoilers of this, like yeah. I would tune out. Yeah, uh, tune out because um. Uh, let's get to the spoilers in a, in a little bit. I mean, like one thing I wanted to mention too, is just, it's, it seems it, it, the writing is exceptional as it always is, but there, they, it had like a base to it that others haven't like it really. And I said, shoe really reminds me of the Agatha Christie famous story. And then there were none Mm -hmm. where they all are invite. 10 people are invited or ra- or ten little Indians, it's been called too. The ten people are invited to a remote island, and one by one they're picked off. Yeah, and you don't know till the end who's the one who's doing it. Right, and this has themes of that in yeah, it. Oh yeah, it's got a lot of themes. It's got a lot of great Western stuff. It's got a lot of. You know the performances. Well, it's a great sort of who done it mystery, yeah, and like who yeah. everyone's after her. But again, I like how it's just one location for the most part. It's just the one, yeah, backdrop. And everything's sort of told in that in that room. And it's long, but it's the writing and the performances are so good that you don't really feel it. I mean, we had no. a twelve minute intermission, which the it, like if you're going to see it outside of New York and in LA, you're probably not going to get to see that whole experience. No, you don't. I think they're only doing it in fifty theaters. Like that, right, they said. Yeah, across the country, across right? The country, yeah. yeah. So if you can get to if one you of those do 50 that, theaters, do it. Yeah, if you can, if you're a fan, I mean, you should do it. Yeah, because it's a theater experience. Go see it in the theaters. You'll still see the movie. Right. But it's not going to be film. It's not going to be 70 millimeter. No, and also Robert Richardson was saying that Quentin calls it the mall experience. Yeah, he does. That's what Quentin calls it. There's like the theater, the whatever uh, theater experience, the mall experience, which is going out to all the theaters. Yeah, and it's still going to be a great film, but it's the theater experience with you come in, you hear the score by Ennio Morricone for a few minutes, and then like an old school theater, and then then you see the film and then there's an intermission and the intermission happens at a very interesting crazy point. point yeah where everyone in the audience has to like the lights come up and you sort of have to sit in this moment because what happens before that is probably one of the like probably the most graphic yes thing, like it like scene in the movie in a sense it's not necessarily the most violent but it's definitely the most disturbing right because what happens is they're all in the house now they all and like they're all okay, now we're getting into Jackson. spoilers so yeah. spoiler alert for those of you who don't want to know what happens in the film stop yeah because stop movie hasn't listening come out yet. to us stop listening right now uh they go they're all in there and they're all talking getting to know each other and what happens is walton goggins being a confederate mercenary instantly knows who bruce dern is and Mm -hmm. not just knows who he is but like really respects him and hey can i get you a cup of coffee can i here take my blanket can i get you a blanket (laughs) he's kissing his ass yeah confederate respect thing yep and uh samuel l jackson is a northern soldier and he's wearing his northern colors right and and bruce dern's wearing his uh, confederate colors yeah they sort of knew each other because they fought in the same battle in baton rouge and he's heard oh, of him. Oh, right. They did fight in that same battle. Yeah. yeah. And we also find out that Samuel L. Jackson was taken prisoner by the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. And he was going to be killed. But remember, he escapes. And he escapes by burning down the prisoner of war camp. Yeah. And in doing so, 47 Confederate soldiers were killed. So Samuel L. But Jackson. Also northern, but you find yeah. out that also 37 Northern soldiers were killed. Too. Right. 
And Samuel L. Jackson basically sums it up as like war is hell and that's what you do what you got to do to survive. But Samuel L. Jackson had a bounty on his head. It started at like $80,000 and then by the time the war was over, it was $5,000. So yeah. a lot of people came to try to get his head. You know, right, and right, no right. No one ever did. And then we find out later that how that comes into play. And so there's already tension between Bruce Dern and Samuel L. Jackson. And, you know, you get a, you kind of get to know Michael Madsen. He doesn't have as much of a he's story. He's kind of a smaller part in this. Well, yeah. he's not as, like, fleshed out as uh, of a character. No, but, but but you find out when he does that, because what he does is he does this kind of, let me explain what happened earlier this day. Right. Once you sort right. of get to the point where you know who these people are, he goes back and explains it. And then then the way they behaved in the beginning yeah. makes sense to you right. because now you understand who they are and why they were being how they were being. So in that respect, it's probably good that he did go back and do the explain thing. Well, right. he wrote it in a way that you you almost need him to do that. Yeah, well, I think that that would be the idea. It's like, when if I'm going to go back and tell you what happened, like it kind of needs to be yeah, done. Yeah. Otherwise, you can just edit it out. Because I was so into... Th- the story in the current timeline that it was going in. Right. That like, I didn't need true. To, I didn't true, need true. to go back yeah. and see men meet Daisy and sweet Dave and hear their mini. Mini. Yeah. Was it mini? Yeah. Mini has a mini and then Daisy is Jennifer Jason Lee. Right. But and so, yeah. So I guess it's up to you when you see the movie, you'll have your own opinion. Um, and but, so, yeah. So Samuel Jackson's character ends up, you think he's going to have, well, actually we should say again and spoilers, there's a revelation about the Lincoln letter. And from there, things start to take a turn with well, Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson and Kurt Russell were in cahoots. Or not cahoots, but they were they like, made had pact. each other's backs. Yeah, yeah, let's both get our bounties. We'll watch each other's backs and get through this blizzard with these strangers. And right. Like, cool. And what happens, they're all eating their stew. And uh, Walton Goggins was like, can I see that Abraham Lincoln letter? Or I heard about the late Lincoln letter. And he's like, oh, no, you can't see it. I'm not going to show it to you. And then as Kurt Russell started talking about it, Walton Goggins starts laughing. He's like, you honestly believe that anyone in this fucking room has a real letter from Abraham Lincoln? And he's just like laughing his head off. The president, Abraham. And Kurt Russell's like, well, yeah, sure I do. He's my buddy, yeah. Samuel L. Jackson. He's like, that letter isn't bullshit, is it, Samuel? He's like... Yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah, yeah and he's yeah. like, what? What? Yeah. He's like, well, tell you what, white people are uh, most uh, easy to get along with when they're disarmed. And when then that letter disarms a lot of white folks. Yeah. They, so, there's a lot of race stuff in here. Yeah. I mean, they use the N-word every other word every other constantly. Word is, yeah. Yeah. Well, like just like, sort of like the scene in Pulp Fiction with the Quentin where it's like dead nigger stories. Right. You know what I mean? Over and over and over. And uh, so they go back in and they're talking about this letter and her Russell's like, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but it's fucking, fucking lie and it's a fucking bullshit. And he's like, did I hurt your feelings, John Ruth? Yeah. He's like, you can say what you want, but that letter's got me on your stagecoach, right. John Ruth. You know right. what I mean? And yeah. like, you look at it and like, that's true, man. Like, it's true, but at that moment, you, you go, okay, now, who's he? And yeah. I'll tell you what I was thinking. I was thinking, is he in cahoots with Daisy? Like I wasn't. Jennifer Jason yeah, Lee, yeah, I wasn't a hundred percent sure that he wasn't a bat. Like in cahoots, I didn't know what Someone was going was. on. But I knew that we all of a sudden didn't know shit about Samuel Jackson. Well, anything we thought we knew, because now like wrong. questioned is now into question. And we should also say that uh, Samuel L. Jackson got into a big argument with. Uh, Bruce, Bruce Stern, Stern yeah, and they were going. And Samuel Jackson was going to draw his gun because he says something like, "What happened was 
Samuel or Bruce Stern's character in a, in the Battle of Baton Rouge didn't take any black prisoners. He's like, oh, he just killed him. Yeah, yeah. He's like, we didn't have the room, we didn't have the food. He's like, that sounds to me more like cold blooded murder. He's like, well, we did what I do. And Samuel Jackson goes to reach for his gun, and Walton Goggins says basically like, as the sheriff of whatever Red, Red Rock, Rock, if you kill this unarmed, defenseless old man, I'll make sure that you hang. And everyone yeah. here saw it. And so fast forward to after they have their meal and after the Lincoln letters have been revealed. Uh, you find out that Bruce Dern is going to Red Rock to bury his son. Mm-hmm. And he's bought the tombstone, but they've never found the body right. of his son. And he's going up there to like buy the plot, ceremonial plot and write the tombstone and this sort of thing. And so after they eat, Samuel L. Jackson comes and says, you know, can I sit with you? Can we talk? We're both old war dogs and this sort of thing. You know, old war horses. And they sort of get to talking and it almost sounds amicable. Yeah. And it, it is. They're sort of having this sort of like respect. We each fought in the same battle kind of thing. And then Samuel L. Jackson goes, you know, I knew your son. He's like, you knew my boy? Mm. And he starts like, he's like, yeah, yeah, I knew him. And he's like, I knew I knew it was going to be bad when he said that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I I knew it was going to be a bad thing. You knew it was really bad when he takes a gun out and puts it right on Bruce Dern's chair of his arm of his chair. Yeah, because now he's not unarmed. And you're like, okay, he's about to bait him. him. And he basically launches into the story of, you know, when I had that bounty on my head after the war, a lot of boys came up here looking for my head. Oh, yeah, because we find out that he had a $15,000 bounty on his head. He had a like $50,000 Oh, did he? Oh, right. It kept going down down, after the war. To now it was still like five thousand, but everyone it's sort of like yeah. going over. But during that time, he's like, you know, and your boy was one of them that came to try to get the money on my head, and uh, I can't remember. He's like, but I was ready for him. Like he thought he'd be mm. ready for me. And they sort of cut to the story he's telling, and they're out in the middle of like winter Wyoming, yeah. which is again beautifully shot, beautiful, but also extremely it gets so disturbing because he's basically like I stripped him down naked in the middle of the cold, and the that's snow. a hard shot to watch. Yeah. They show it. They, they show, show it. Samuel Jackson with a guy chained to him naked, naked in the middle in of the of frozen. It almost looks like with snowshoes a, on a sand desert scene, except mm-hmm. it's white snow, but oh, it's. Yeah. Like yeah. that remote kind of feeling, like you know, like in the middle of the weather. Sahara, but it's in the middle of the winter wonderland, winter which is so wonder. Yeah. yeah, winter of the Rockies or whatever. And he basically goes into this story and it's like, they keep cutting back to Bruce Dern. He looks more and more disturbed. And yeah. He's like, and, you know, he begged, he was begging, but it wasn't for his life. And it wasn't for like what else the money or something or it was just for a blanket. He wanted a blanket because he was so cold and yeah. naked. And I told him I'd give him a blanket for one thing. <sighs> and he's like, I told him if he if, if I pull out my fucking chocolate dangus black my black dick <laughs> he literally they launch into it like oh that yeah they say it like that and yeah. said if you come and you suck my dick right now in this in the middle of this winter i'll give you a blanket and he and so he you know when a man's so desperate they'll do anything to get warm and yeah like, and they, they show him basically like, doing it yeah, well i mean you show him with behind, his yeah so it's like his head it's implied blowjob and you know you're like mean? and everyone in the audience i'm looking around is like 
Uh, well, there's uh, a wide uh, range. There's uh, like old seniors people. Yeah, we were sitting next to some seniors, and we were. I was kind of like, oh my god, what are they doing right now? There was a woman sitting next to me, and I started talking to her before the movie. Really nice lady. She said she met Quentin Tarantino in New York at one of the protests. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know if you guys remember during the whole "I can't breathe," uh, Chris, and uh, the whole Freddie Gray thing. Yeah, just all of the like these murders that have been happening with the police. Quentin Tarantino became a sort of voice and advocate Mm -hmm. for like Black Lives Matter and this sort of thing. And then there was a giant pushback of police trying to get people not to go and see this movie just to like not support because that yeah because that's gonna that means a whole lot to them you know i guess and so she said she was at one of those rallies and met quinn tarantino she's like i'm a big fan she's also pushing 80 years old and but the whole time i'm watching this scene of him getting like this blowjob from a dude in the middle of the snow naked it's rough it's rough. It's super rough. He's like, I grabbed a nice handful of his oh, hair. Oh, it was from- awful. Yeah, I know. He, it's and like- he doesn't break when he says it. You know Samuel L. Jackson. He's like very comfortable in the Quentin in Quentin's films. Quentin's world. It's he's like, he's, like uh, selling it. He's well. He's delivering it like the fucking scene in in Pulp Fiction. Yes, ab- it was. That's the first time I've seen him that good in a Quentin film, and not just Samuel L. Jackson. Well, yeah, because Django, know? he just sort of plays like the Aaron boy. Too. Yeah, and he was just okay. Here's Samuel. Jackson again, yeah. but like the, he, this was reminiscent of Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it was awesome too. Like this is a great character, and uh, so basically, and like they're cutting back and forth to the story he's telling, and the whole time you don't really know if it's true, mm. but you know that he's trying to like stir it, work up. It's Dirt. working. And then, so the last scene, it cuts back to them. He's like, "And how do you feel about that, old man?" And then he goes for the gun, and Samuel Jackson just shoots him through the chest. And yeah. So you know, so you could say like maybe that was all made up. Maybe it's just a whole. Lie. It could have been. It could have been. It could have easily been, especially when you find out that the letter's fake. So you think that if he's willing to lie about this he's letter... He's lying about this. You don't know what lying. he'll lie about. You know he's a liar. But then... You think everyone's a liar. Though. Intermission. Yeah. Right? Literally right after he shoots, he shoots Stern, him. It's like he falls dead and it's like, intermission. And the lights come <laughs> up. the lights come up we're all like looking at each other like, holy shit. And like people are walking to the bathroom yeah. and people are sort of like, everyone's really quiet. A lot we of people look disturbed. With it. That's what I liked about it though. It's like he just like, he totally just fucked with the whole audience. And it's like yeah. people all over the country are going to be seeing this. And so much of it is race related, you mm-hmm. know, whether whether that means anything or not. But it's just so funny to me. I was like, this is incredible. What a master of like the human condition. <laughs> like just to fuck with people like that. And whether it's it's all felt intentional, you know? It's like and then he's gonna launch into this like crazy murder blowjob story. And then yeah. we're gonna make the lights will come up and people can use the bathroom and look at each other in like bewildered fucking like amazement or disturbing, you know, people are yeah, people are disturbed. I was like laughing. I was like, You this were is laughing. I was kind of stunned. I mean, but but I I do. I, I mean, he's a master manipulator, Quentin. Well, that's why, like, working in stand-up, like, you see so much. And I've heard a lot of blowjob stories. And I've heard a lot of, like, <laughs> heard a lot of, like, fucking, just a lot of stories, you know? Right. And a lot of blowjob jokes and a lot of, like, rape jokes that don't work. And people right. have to sit in it and they're uncomfortable. Like, yeah. I see that shit every night. Yeah, you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? And I appreciate it. Whether it works or not, it's still in in the sort of realm of entertainment and like whether you think it's funny or not you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. or think it's uh tasteful or not i still just appreciate it all for being what it is you know yeah and just for fucking with people that's what i like sasha baron it, cohen so much oh yeah you know? yeah yeah that's why i like bruno so much like yeah just fuck with the status quo fuck with people's emotions and nathan for you 
And Nathan, Nathan for, you. for you really yeah, fucks he's sort with of, people. Yeah, he fucks with these, the, like, you know, just the fuckery level. Yeah. I appreciate it. Like, go ahead. Do it. See where it goes. See yep. if it works or not. Even if it doesn't, it still works because you tried it. Well, we're not going to tell you guys what happens because I, I don't think that we should because you should go see it. And But, we, but I am going to say that it's a masterpiece of a film. And yeah, it is. It might be my favorite story he's told, for real. I mean, like, Kill Bill's cool, and Django's cool, uh, and Glorious Bastards is, like, brilliant. But that's my favorite, personally. I, I think, I think that's, his ma- that's his complete, total masterpiece. I, don't, I think this is. I think that I think was, this is up there. I think it's close to Inglorious Bastards. I mean, the just the score, the cinematography, the editing, the script... I think this is just like the most complete story and the most complete, um, I don't know, character. I don't know. It's just like by the end of it, I was white knuckling like the whole end sequence. I was white knuckling it the whole time. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to tell you how Channing Tatum comes into play, I guess. Although, I, mean, we, well, I guess we could tell the intermission after intermission after the movie comes out. We could do a review of the second half of the movie if we want. No. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's a film that. You know, you should. I think you don't want to know what's going to happen if you're planning oh, I mean, on going to see this. After the movie comes out. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I said. Yeah, sorry. I said that. That's what. I said. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. But but I mean the Channing. One thing about the Channing Tatum character, we, you personally, I personally, we didn't feel that he was cast correctly. It sort of came out of left field, and we saw his name in the opening credits. And we're like Channing Tatum. What? Who is he going to be? And yeah. then when you find out who he is, and you find out what his character is. Kind of like well, I can we can say he's uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's brother. You find out he's, mm-hmm. he's, her, he's her brother, and he's sort of the leader of this gang, right. of a gang, the the gang, the Donahue gang or whatever. Yeah, and you kind of like with that information, kind of like I feel like he was a little miscast. Yeah, he's just so pretty. He's too and, pretty, and he's too. I don't know. He's too like all American looking. I guess mm-hmm. it's a Western. You're going to look all American, but. But I really thought after watching the movie, I sort of said, and you agreed, it should have been Norman Reedus. Fuck yeah. Like, it would have made so much sense. Total. He would have been more age appropriate for Jennifer age, Jason right, Lee. Right. And also, he looks like a guy who could be in a Western and be the leader of a gang. Of a renegade, rough, yeah. roughneck gang. Yeah, man. With smoking cigarettes and, you know, carrying a six shooter and stuff. He yeah. kind of does that already on Walking Dead. Right. And, like, he looks like he would fit in that world. In the Whoa, Quentin is he too Tarantino busy? World, maybe. <laughs> I think it's just a play like how they got jonah hill and django like, which i didn't like either which i didn't like yeah i didn't think it, it was necessary it didn't add anything that whole sequence didn't add anything to the movie no it could have been edited out of the whole movie yeah it, it was like a cheap laugh that was sort of like blazing saddles nod it was yeah it definitely was yeah and then that's it and then i don't know I, like it wasn't enough of a, a you know a part of the movie to keep it in you could have had it as like bonus features that, right you know does he do bonus features i don't know i mean i like channing tatum i thought he proved his acting worthy in fox catcher yeah i don't think it's an acting chops thing no it's just just i don't think he was cast right yeah i feel like there's someone that when when their face shows up you're like oh like yeah and we saw chain here like oh that's who he is oh oh, okay okay all right i mean that's cool i guess that's fine yeah you know wasn't like what no he's the one he that's where he comes in no not really 
I yeah. mean, Quinn's usually good at that too. Like he's brought back people's career, like Don Johnson and uh, Django. Travolta. Travolta. He brought back Travolta. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. So he's done that before. I just feel like it, what that wasn't it in this case. No. But he did a good job. He did the, his part. It just wasn't, you know. Well, he did something that he that's different, which is he's using people that are stars instead of bringing people back who were had stars. careers yeah. that were stars. And that's what he. I feel like he should have done something like that. With that, like grab somebody that used to be a star that we haven't seen in a while that was perfect for that character right because we should say it's a small part yeah it's like three scenes yeah you know it's a very small part in the actual the whole movie which is a three-hour movie right and uh i guess yeah and so go see the movie and then we'll do a review of the last half of the movie yeah but before we start getting into who who else dies and when and this sort of thing what do you give it on our justice and doom meter i give it like high 90s like 9.5 yeah i give it a 9.5 yeah absolutely I, i it's one of the best films of the year I mean, the experience as a movie-going experience was a 10 out of 10 for me. It's probably the most fun I've had going to a movie in years. Absolutely. I mean, we got the special experience, which makes it what should make it better, you know? But just as a movie-going experience, it's like 10 out of 10, uh, far and away, ten, uh, 12 out of 10. Yeah. And really, like, in the last 10 years... I can't remember going to a movie and having that much fun and being that engrossed and enveloped and sort of, you know, involved. Yeah, right. it almost felt like a midnight screening of like a Rocky Horror where people are almost, you know, like throwing yeah. stuff at the screen. Like it really felt like that. Yeah. I feel like they should almost do that here at Cinefamily mm-hmm. or at the the New Beverly Theater where there's like a Hateful Eight midnight screening with the Maybe overture there will be. and the intermission. Yeah. That would be fun. I'd go to that. Yeah. There's somehow a way where you do a shot every time someone yeah. dies or something, <laughs> you know, or something like that. You know, a shot yeah. of whiskey, a snake bite or whatever you call right. it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a really special experience, especially if you can see it in the seventy millimeter uh, film as he intended Panavision. to see it, Panavision. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, go yeah, see go it. Go see it. It's totally worth the money for any any version you see of this movie is w- worth it. You're not going to leave like oh whatever. Like, it's violent. It's qu- it's a Quentin Tarantino film. But yeah, you should know that if you didn't know that if you haven't you know it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's disturbing. It's violent. Yeah, you know. So if you if you don't punches. like that, you're not going to want to see this. It opens in New York and L. A. on dis- on Christmas, and mm-hmm. it opens wide on January first. Yep. So so go see that. Harold and Maude approved. Harold and Prada moved. What did you just say? I don't know. Purple Papa Harold and Maude, I'm on some ludes. I'm on some ludes. I took some quaaludes. So that was uh, The Hateful Eight. That was The Hateful Eight. And it's a great film. You should go see it. And we will be back at you with some more reviews and recaps, including Krampus. Krampus and The Revenant. The Revenant. Look out for The Revenant. Yeah. And happy holidays, everybody. Yeah. What's today? We'll have one more up before Christmas. Yeah. We're going to have more before Christmas. We'll have more before Christmas. We'll have our Krampus up and stuff. Today's the 14th of December, it I is. think. It is. Yeah. So we got, we'll be around before Christmas. Yeah. Well, we'll, you'll hear us. You'll have some nog to toast. Yep. Toasting our nogs. We'll be toasting our nogs by the fire. <laughs> we'll be roasting our nuts by the fire. <laughs> no. Yep. Along with Samuel Jackson. Yep. Keeping warm with Brewster and Son. Yep. Yep. See ya, jerks. Come shine a